All right. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the chance to laugh. We thank you for the gift of children. And we remember that the Lord Jesus took up even an infant into his arms and said that uh, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And, and if we want to enter in, we have to become like little children. Um, give us a mature childlikeness. Um, let us let us see the, the beauty of, of um, small ones and uh, understand what the Lord Jesus meant with that saying. And we pray that the humility, the dependence that, that characterizes little ones would also characterize us as we live before the face of our Heavenly Father. And as we uh, take some time this morning to think about uh, the, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that you would be with us and that you would encourage us and that in it we would understand more deeply the love that you and the Son and the Spirit have for us. For it's in the name of Christ that we ask and pray. Amen. All right, so we've gone through Matthew. We've kind of done an overview about what makes Mark distinct. Um, today is today's Wednesday. Today and part of tomorrow, what I want to do is to start thinking, not just in the Gospel of Mark, but really just kind of broadly, about the cross. Um, this is obviously something we're going to come back to many, many, many times. Um, but there are a lot of different ways that we can think about what happened at the cross. There are several different analogies that the scriptures use to help us get a better understanding of what Jesus accomplished when he was crucified. And so I want us to start today and then into tomorrow as well to think through these things bit by bit. There's something I'm going to show you tomorrow that I think will be helpful. Um, but um, uh Let's get started with that. I, let me say this really quickly. Um, there was a pastor one time, and I, and I heard him say a quote that's really stuck with me for a long time. He said, um, the all-wise, infinitely powerful God is constantly doing 10,000 different things in your life, and you might be aware of three of them. That's an encouraging statement. God's working in your, in your life in a whole lot of different ways, but are we always aware of how God is working? And, and, and that pastor suggested maybe we're not even usually aware of how he's working. We might have some inkling of what God's up to in our life, but there are a lot of good purposes from the Lord that are, that are being accomplished in our life that we just don't even know about. Have you ever had an experience where you went through something and then at the end of it, all of a sudden it clicked and you, and you said, now I see how God was opening your door, or now I see what God was doing in that moment. Uh, sometimes we have experiences like that. And this pastor made the point that, you know, a lot of times God is at work in our lives, but a lot of times we don't see exactly how. We don't know exactly what he's up to. And one thing that I would encourage you with is I, I think that the pastor is true. I think that that is a, a correct thing. If God is constantly at work in your life in all of these different ways, 10,000 different ways, how many ways must he have been at work whenever Christ was crucified? The cross doesn't just do one thing. The cross does a lot of things. So let's think about the cross. Um, if I asked the question, what did the cross do? What did it accomplish? How would you answer What did the cross do or accomplish? How would you answer? It gave mankind a way out of sin and a way to trade our sin for 
Yeah, there's an idea of um, uh, what, what we could say there to kind of summarize is that there is an idea very clearly laid out in the New Testament that at the cross, a great exchange occurred. Uh, if you think about a text like 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, God made him, meaning Jesus, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, there's an idea presented throughout the New Testament that on the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself, and sin deserves what? Death, it deserves curses, it deserves uh, wrath from God. Jesus took these things and then gifted us with his perfect righteousness. And because we've been gifted with Jesus' perfect righteousness, what, does, what do righteous people deserve? Yeah, they deserve life, even even eternal life. They deserve um, blessing from God. They deserve, uh, you know, right relationship with him. And we are given these things as a gift because Jesus did this great exchange with us on the cross. So this is one way to think about the cross. There, that is the place where Jesus took our sins and was treated as we deserved to be treated in order to give us his righteousness so that we will be treated as he deserves to be treated. Uh, that's one way to think about it. What else happened at the cross? Is this the only thing that happened at the cross? I mean, like events that happened at the cross or things that... Things that accomplished. What's your memory verse for this week? Where's it found? It's in, it's in Mark. What was the verse that I gave you? 1045. Somebody read it. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's an interesting vocabulary word in that text. Starts with an R. What was it? Ransom. Ransom. There's an idea at, at, that at the cross, we were ransomed. And this word has its roots in the Old Testament story of the Exodus. Uh, in the Exodus, God's people were supposed to be living in God's land under God's rule, but instead they were living in whose land? Egypt. Under whose rule? Pharaoh. Yeah, they were living in Pharaoh's land under Pharaoh's rule. They were enslaved to Pharaoh. And in the Exodus, God did a mighty work to ransom his people. If you ransom something, uh, what that means is that something that used to be yours has passed into someone else's possession. And now, maybe through money, maybe through something else, you are now getting that thing back. You're repossessing it. You're ransoming it. At the cross, there's an idea that you were ransomed. God created you. God should be the one who is Lord of your life. God should be the one that you submit to. But according to the New Testament, all have willingly sinned and all have gone astray, and we have turned our back on God and his kingdom, and we've been part of the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. And at the cross, Jesus did what was necessary to win us back. He paid the price 
so that we could once again pass back into God's possession. It says in the book of 1 Peter that you are God's treasured possession if you are his people. The Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, there's a picture where he appears to John and he's holding the keys of death in Hades. Uh, What do keys represent? Like if I put my keychain up here, what type of keys would be on it? Car key, house key, key to the, my church, all right? Things that are Yours. mine, right? Keys are a symbol of ownership. So in Revelation 1, Jesus is holding the keys of death and Hades. There was something that used to belong to death and Hades that now belongs to Jesus. Those keys are a symbol of you and me. We rightly belong to the Lord, We were under the dominion of darkness, part of the kingdom of this world, and Jesus did what was necessary to ransom us, repossess us. Now, are these ideas in conflict? No. No. But are they different ideas? Yeah. It's another angle or another lens through which you can see the cross. What else could we put up here? You've had your hand up. Did you have something else? Uh, It was really vague, though. Try it. Okay. Your question was, what did this accomplish? What was Jesus' death? And really, it accomplished not the entirety of the will of God, but partially. It's kind of hard to describe because uh, like, it fulfilled what God wanted Jesus to do. right? So that would be Jesus fulfilled God's will yeah. While dying on the cross, right? And we could maybe play this in right here with the righteousness thing, right? He, he did what God wanted him to do. He was obedient. Um, yeah, obedience. Yeah, there was an obedience aspect. Jesus obeyed, whereas we disobeyed. One thing that we could put with that as well is, um, we can put another word up here. This one is a word that you probably don't know right now, but it's a really important word for biblical studies. It's the term recapitulation. Um, Recapitulation, it occurs when an event repeats itself. You see the R-E at the beginning. Think recapitulation, repeat. All right? So in the Bible, we've seen before, especially if you guys were with me last year, but even if you were with me just this year, we've seen that sometimes biblical stories have similar elements that repeat and repeat and repeat. Right? What would be an example of that? The cycle or spiral of apostasy and judges. Yeah, the same story kind of happens over and over in Judges, but what happens each time? It gets worse. worse. All right, that's a really good one. What else maybe could we see where where there's recapitulation, repetition? Yeah, Adam sins by mistaking of, of a fruit, and then he realizes that he's naked and he feels great shame. And the same thing happens with Noah, where he mispartakes a fruit, and then he winds up on the floor of his tent naked and ashamed. All right? One of the things that we can see at the cross is a recapitulation. Um, the New Testament is going to speak of a comparison between Adam and Jesus. And it's going to call Jesus the last Adam. And the idea is that Adam was placed uh, near a tree. What, what tree was Adam placed near? Knowledge. Yeah, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he was given a command about what to do around that tree. What is he supposed to do around that tree? 
What should he not do? Don't eat. Don't touch it. Don't eat of it. Obey God's command. Don't do anything with this tree. Deal with the tree appropriately. You could you could put the term the, the command that way. Does Adam obey? And what does it bring into the world? As he stretches out his hand and he takes the fruit from Eve, what is he yanking into the world? Sin and all the consequences. Death, curse, fall, all of that stuff. One of the things that we see at the cross is that we have a new person like Adam. Adam was a representative for humanity. Jesus is also a representative for those who believe on him. All right. Jesus is a representative. What Christ does, if we have faith in him, what Christ does counts for us. And Jesus, like Adam, comes to a tree. His tree is not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of the... What are crosses made out of? Wood. Wood. They're dead trees. Actually, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3 will say that Christ was hanged on the tree. He doesn't even use the term cross. He says the tree. So Jesus comes to a tree, and he has a command from his father to die for the sins of the world. Does he do what Adam did? Adam disobeyed. Whereas Adam disobeyed at the tree, Jesus obeyed at the tree. Whereas Adam brought death into the world, Jesus brings life and blessing into the world. Both of them go to the tree with a command from God. Both of them go to the tree naked. Remember, one of the things they do to Jesus before he's crucified is they strip him. And, and, and where Adam fell, Jesus succeeded. There's a recapitulation aspect. And the sin of Adam affected Adam. It affected Eve. It affected all of their descendants. It affected all of creation. And there's an idea that Jesus, whenever he obeys, it eventually leads to blessing For Christ and all those who are part of his family, uh, it leads to to life coming into the world, and it leads to the promise that one day Christ will return and make all things new in the new heavens and new earth, and will bring blessing not only to his people, but to the the whole creation. It will be restored and made new, the new heavens and the new earth. So we have a recapitulation aspect. What else could we put up here? Does that make sense? Does this make sense? Does that make sense? Okay. What else could we put up here? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, the word that we can use for that one is, an, we're going to put another R word up here. We're, we're getting some good vocabulary. Man, it might be good for me to quiz you on it at some point. Um, We could put the term here, reconciliation. Um, And and we'll talk about Eliza's idea along these lines. To be reconciled to someone means that, um, all right, if... Since Eliza brought it up, I'll use Eliza as an example. All right. Let's say that, that Eliza and I are, are friends. And on, on Wednesday, we wear pink. And, you know, we're, 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 we're best buds. All right. But then one day, um, I find out that Eliza has been making fun of me behind my back to Peyton. All right. Which happens 
every single class period, except I'm looking at them, right? Uh, and, and so all of a sudden, this friendship is fractured. The relationship is, is, is broken, right? It, it, it's not good anymore. And what's going to have to happen is there's going to have to be reconciliation where that bad relationship becomes good. That's what reconciliation means. Bad relationship becomes good, all right? So um, there is an idea present in Scripture that because we have sinned, there is distance between us and God, right? Uh, Sin leads to separation from God. And one of the things that the cross does is, is it fixes that relationship. Christ takes our sin, and this allows us to have oneness, reconciliation, once again with God. We're invited to be back in his presence, to to call him a friend and to call him a father. That bad relationship is fixed. Um, Along with this as well, um, Eliza mentioned the the tabernacle. Um, Could just anybody in Israel march straight into God's presence in the tabernacle? What part of the tabernacle was dedicated to, like, that's the place God is? Holy of Holies. How many people could go in there? Yeah, the high priest only once a year. All right. Not anyone could just saunter straight into God's presence. What the book of Hebrews, whenever we get there in a little in a little while in in this class, what the book of Hebrews is going to say is that one of the things that Jesus did at the cross is he gave all of God's people access to God. And the reason why he, he gives us access to God is um, whenever Jesus dies, do you, know, do you remember what happens to the, to the temple? The veil tears. Yeah, the veil tears from top to bottom, right? The veil, by the way, is as thick as my hand. Can you imagine that, by the way? Like, you take a jacket. My jacket right here is pretty thick. Think about it being as thick as my hand. That'd be easy to tear. No. No. Even with, like, scissors or a machete... Right? That's going to be hard to tell, to tear. It is a big, thick veil, but it, it, it tears from, from top to bottom. And one of the things that uh, is done is since Christ has taken our sins away and died for them, we now have access to God. We can go to him, uh, and the and, uh, book of Hebrews will say, because of what Christ has done, draw near to him. The, the entrance into the Holy of Holies, is, it's like it's, it's opened up to us. You can, you can go in his presence. You can go before him. So it gives us access to God. Um, what else could we put up here? <laughs> Somebody just went. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how we can work that in. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. what he said. My boy died. We have access to God. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, what else could we put up here? Defeated is a very interesting word, isn't it? Where do we usually use the word defeated? In warfare. There's an idea. Um, I'm going to say this, and um, I, I really do mean it. There's an idea about something that happens at the cross that is very central to the New Testament that Protestants are usually very bad at paying attention to. But it's like a huge deal. 
And so it's something that like I love teaching because a lot of people like kind of know that it's there, but we never like really spend a lot of time on it. And I find it preaches very well. And it's a it's a term um, in Latin. I'm going to put the Latin up here, and you guys are going to be very smart and figure out what the Latin means. Um, the the Latin is Christus Victor. What do you think that means? Jesus wins. Jesus wins, right? Uh, Jesus is the victor, or Jesus's victory, and it's the idea that the cross is a place of war. Yes. Um, is this the last thing you're going to put up? I need to know my We'll keep going, but I mean, you can just bullet point. Christus Victor uh, is the idea that the cross was a place of warfare. And specifically, a place of warfare against antagonistic spiritual powers. At the cross, Jesus fought demons. Is an idea that is very prevalent throughout the New Testament. We're not very far into the New Testament. We're only in the second gospel. We've seen throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. He's casting out demons and doing stuff like that. Um, But one of the major points... Going forward in especially Paul's letters will be that the cross is a place where Jesus beats demons. Uh, It will say in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 that Christ died in order to destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. 1 John chapter 3 will say that the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus at the cross exposed the authorities and powers, meaning uh, uh, that's a reference to to like the demonic side. He he exposed um, basically demons to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. Now, we're going to talk whenever we get to those texts about how does the cross exactly contribute to this spiritual warfare and how does it give Christ victory over those powers And some of the things you could probably guess right now, some of them are very surprising whenever you read them about how exactly does the cross win this warfare. Uh, Some of the rationale behind that is very, very intriguing. So we'll get to that later. But one of the things that we should put up here is that Jesus went to war at the cross and won. Right? Um, For some reason, Protestants typically do a very bad job with that. Uh, of of articulating that, emphasizing that in a way that is appropriate. Um, It's something that we should really try to recover because it's something very, very important in the New Testament message. Yes? So, uh, is there a specific reason for that or is it just... I think that um, if you, like understanding Protestant history, um, there has been such a big emphasis on this one. Jesus took my sin to make me righteous. Like that has really been at the, at the heart of Protestant preaching and theology. I think it's right. I think that the New Testament teaches that, and it is a very emphasized point throughout the New Testament, especially in a passage like Romans 5, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 as well. Um, you know, the idea of, of this great exchange that happened, I think is pretty, um, pretty well spelled out in the New Testament. But just because of the different um, theological battles that Protestants fought, especially in the early days, but even later on, this is the one that they really found themselves emphasizing. And um, not much has changed. I think that the, a, lot of, a lot of people still 
feel the need to really emphasize this one. I think, it, I, again, I think it's important. But I also think that we have to recognize all of these themes are present in the New Testament. And there is a danger if, if, if the cross is doing in the New Testament 20, 30, 40 different things, there's a danger in only focusing on one of those. That's a truncated view of the cross. Um, we need a full-orbed view of the cross. And so this is one, this Christus Victor is one that um, at least me, growing up in, in like Baptist circles, moving into Presbyterianism, I heard it taught some, but um, usually like Easter, Jesus was victorious. Everything else was kind of along these lines, right? Uh, not that those are mutually exclusive. Like, I think they go together very nicely, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but um, I, I think that that is one that uh, deserves a lot more attention. Um, I remember preaching on that. Uh, where did I preach on that? I don't know. I remember preaching on that probably in January. I came to a passage that very much made that point in, in one of Peter's books. And I preached on it, and I had someone come up to me afterwards and was like, I've been in church for like 50 years, and I've never heard any of that. That's a problem. That's a big problem, right? Um, so uh, anything else that we could put up here? We'll come back to it tomorrow, but anything else that we could put up here right off the bat? Tomorrow we should talk about some words like atonement expiation, propitiation. This is what I covered with ninth grade today. Those are vocabulary words from the Day of Atonement. Mm. Um, we should talk about those words. Were atonements in the Day of Atonement? Yeah, can you believe it? Um, we should talk about those words. Um, we should talk about transformation. We should talk about revelation. Um, not the book, but what God is doing at the cross. Uh, and uh, as we go throughout the New Testament, we'll add more things. Um, tomorrow we're going to do that, and then we're going to talk about the end of the Gospel of Mark. And then on Friday we'll get started with Luke. Anybody got any questions? You all need to put candy corn on Gray's head and... Um, uh, you guys need to make sure you've read John 1 through 3 before class on Friday. All right? Remember that you have a memory verse, Mark 10, 45, that will be due on Friday. So uh, we'll end the lesson here.